Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Daily Premier League action and reaction. This is Football Social Daily. This is Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League update from Sport Social. How are you doing? Don't forget you can get involved in the off-podcast chat with myself and the team via our new Telegram group. If you're not familiar with Telegram, it's a little bit like WhatsApp, but on steroids. There's loads more features, etc. And you can get it via the App Store and Google Play. Once you've done that, just head to our Twitter, at FSDpod, and the pinned tweet to the top of our Twitter feed is a link to join the Telegram group talking about all sorts over the last 24 hours including trying to work out our Premier League North versus South teams and exactly where the line for the North is drawn across the UK and there's been some outrageous comparisons between Erling Haaland and other Premier League greats too so get involved Speaking of Haaland, we'll be looking back at his winner and all the action from Manchester City and Chelsea's Champions League games last night. We'll also be looking ahead to Europa League action with Manchester United looking to better their loss in the opening game and West Ham are hoping to continue their winning European run after a good start last week. Plus, Premier League football returns this weekend and we'll also have the return of Fantasy Premier League. Dr. Tom from Who Got The Assist will be on hand to answer your questions shortly. I'm Jim and it's Niall and Joel on the podcast today. Hello, boys. How you doing? Good morning. (laughs) Good morning, Joel. (laughs) Right, let's get stuck in. Uh, Man City, Dortmund on the way. But first, let's talk about Chelsea versus RB Salzburg. It was 1-1 last night. The first game of the Graham Potter era starts with... Maybe a little bit of disappointment, but were there positive signs last night, Niall, that Graham Potter had started to work his magic, put his influence on the players? No, no, not really. Okay. Um, not from what I saw anyway. And Graham Potter, in all fairness, mentioned that, you know, the, the lads have responded well to him since Thomas Tuchel's second. And he said after the game, actually, that it's been a difficult week for the players. And you can understand why with the relationship, I'm sure, that Thomas Tuchel had built up with them. And Graham Potter wasn't, you know, sort of blinkered enough to, to kind of see through that and, and look past that and brush it to one side. I think he understands how man management and, and players work. They obviously would have been disappointed to lose, to lose the last manager, Thomas Tuchel. Um, but, you know, things like this happen in football. And so he mentioned that the players responded to him well. What I thought was interesting is the formation. So we know Brighton play three at the back with wing backs. Um, they like to try and get bodies around the ball and open up spaces in midfield. That's certainly not something we saw last night. Chelsea set up in a 4-3-3 formation and actually Raheem Sterling was on one side of a front three and I think Rhys James actually ended up playing in either the midfield or the forward regions and they pushed Aspilicueta out um, as to one of the wing-back roles and that was, or the full-back roles I should say, no wing-backs in a back four but I think the thinking behind that was so that they can try and utilise some of the spaces out wide because Salzburg block the middle of the pitch well that's what Graham Potter was saying but without descending this into a complete tactical chat I think the the point is 
that it was always going to be difficult with your first game as a new manager of a new club to go in and get the job done against a side who no doubt would have been keen to kind of add to Chelsea's recent misery. However, it doesn't look good for the Blues, does it? A 1-1 draw against Salzburg, despite the fact they've got a new manager with the personnel they had out there, they should have really beaten the Austrian side. So, you know, Chelsea now have one point on the board after two games. You don't want to be going into your final four group stage games needing to chase wins in every one, but that is how it is. And they're bottom of the group at the moment. And I think I saw a statistic this morning saying that Chelsea have made the worst ever start to a Champions League campaign, which is not great reading if you're a Blues supporter. But I go back to what I said four or five months ago when you know Roman Abramovich was sanctioned and turfed out of Chelsea. And my argument was that Chelsea won't be the same from that. It doesn't matter who comes in to buy the club. Todd Bowley's come in, bought the club. You know, the club's now on a level footing financially, but they've gone and splashed all this money on players. They've made a rash decision, in my opinion, to sack the manager. You've got an owner doing interviews where he clearly hasn't done research on the club he even owns. So I think there are causes for concern, but it was always going to be hard for Graham Potter to go in and hit the ground running. I don't think there are any issues with him personally from last night, but I think it just shows that there are work. there is still work to be done. There's definitely a period of transition in store for Chelsea over the next 12 months, if not a rocky road ahead. I disagree slightly with Niall's view on the formation that Chelsea played. I certainly thought at times, and this is one of the hallmarks of Graham Potter as a manager, he's very tactically flexible. He doesn't stick to one position. It can kind of flow and change throughout the game. But I thought at times Raheem Sterling was playing almost as a wing-back Joel, which you would have thought isn't the position that he went to Chelsea for. He went to Chelsea to be the main man and here he is playing a slightly more defensive role. He's not going to be particularly happy with that. And is he a player that even suits playing that kind of role? I think it'll continue to chop and change in this side because he's been given a group of players where he's not had any say in who's signed and where they want to play and the outgoings he's had no saves basically just been dumped with a really impressive team by the way in terms of individuals but I think he's just trying to find where this team's identity is in terms of what's the best formation for it because I mentioned yesterday how they're so stacked defensively where they've got ridiculous amounts of talent at the back where they could probably play a team of centre-backs there's that many that's going on in that squad um, but Graham Potter's side, and you've seen it with some of the best managers in the world with some of their sides, a lot of their star players, let's say they come into a side and you know one of them's a player who's renowned. I think the best example is in Paris Saint-Germain. Their players have to adapt to the manager and the demands of how much you want to work in that team. And I don't expect Raheem Sterling to be you know, going up and down the touchline all game, but Graham Potter's Brighton side were a really hard-working side. And you have to have a little bit of humility if you want to play that way because I know a lot of the top players, sometimes I feel as though they think they're above themselves to actually put in the dirty work and defend. Whereas if you see in every single top European side that's ever won anything, every single player has a position and a, and a responsibility, whether it's in attack or in defence. So 
I don't think, and he scored last night anyway, Sterling, so it's clearly showing that he's getting a little bit more influence. It was a great finish anyway. Um, but I think Graham Potter needs to find his feet because he has so many individuals that could play in so many different positions, whether it's like more advanced or more defensive. Um, so I think it's going to take a few weeks. And I think over the international break, it'll be a good time for him to just be able to sit down with what he's got and just understand exactly where the biggest strengths are in that squad. I certainly thought it was a positive performance and the Chelsea team, certainly with James on one side, Sterling on the other, getting forward, they were getting balls into the box. But potentially it was the positivity of Chelsea's play that resulted in the Salzburg goal that got them the equaliser. I mean, ultimately, Niall, I guess Chelsea fans aren't going to be too upset about conceding the odd goal here and there if they do see their team on the front foot and attacking because it comes when it comes down to it that's kind of what football fans want in general they want to see their team pushing forward and when they do they're not that bothered when they concede at the other end yeah what football fans want is to see their team win and it's as simple as that i mean it doesn't matter if they concede five goals if chelsea score six or seven and they win the game i think the fans would have been all right with that last night you know to win is the end goal for a club like chelsea where you need to win trophies as a matter of uh, principle it's adamant that chelsea win matches and you know that's the reputation they've built for themselves as a club when you're the manager of Brighton, like Graham Potter was, the chances are you're going to lose a fair handful of games. He doesn't have that luxury at Chelsea. He has to win more games than he loses, and that is an absolute fact. So I think defensively, it's a really interesting question because under Thomas Tuchel, we saw when he first came in how solid Chelsea were at the back. They were absolutely rock solid. They were so difficult to break down. They kept a number of clean sheets in the first, I think, 15 or 20 games that Thomas Tuchel was the manager. And interestingly, just before he got sacked, there was a a graphic on Sky Sports, which revealed that after 100 Chelsea games, Thomas Tuchel had conceded almost double the amount of goals in his second 50 matches of his reign than he did in his first 50. So something's happened there defensively within Chelsea. And we know that with Rudiger, who's a top quality centre-half leaving, Christensen, who's also a very accomplished centre-back leaving. And then, as you know, Joel mentioned on yesterday's podcast when we were looking ahead to this game, you've got players like Thiago Silva, who's in his late 30s and, you know, let's face it, is an excellent defender. But the Premier League is brutal and ruthless and will cut you down and find you out if you are even only a couple of yards off the pace. I mean, you only need to look at Virgil van Dijk, for example, who's a world-class defender if not the best to do it in the last few years in world football and yet he's kind of coming unstuck a little bit because of a of a lack of consistency and a lack of form maybe being off the pace just by a couple of yards so you know you've got then that conundrum where in Chelsea's defence they're not quite as solid as they were 12 months ago and fans remember that so Yes, they will concede goals. I think it's natural. The game has changed and teams are more dangerous now. Even the lesser teams can find a way to break you down. The quality in these Champions League sides and in the Premier League teams is as good as it's ever been. So you are liable to concede goals. But as long as Chelsea are winning matches, I think that's imperative. I don't think it matters however many goals they concede. They just need to win games. Something that they weren't doing regularly enough under Thomas Tuchel, according to the ownership. And that's why they've made the change. Two games now, bottom of the group in Champions League football, Joel. If you were Chelsea, if you were Graham Potter, do you forget about the Champions League? There is a rebuilding job to do, as Niles mentioned. He's got to introduce Potter Ball to the Stamford Bridge crowd. I mean, do you forget about the Champions League and just go, let's focus on the Premier League, let's do the rebuild and then look at what we can do in European football next season? 
No, I still think they've got a really good chance of getting out of that group. I think they'd be stupid to just throw it away after two games. I've seen many more miracles. AC Milan in the group next, stages. isn't it? Isn't it two games home against AC Milan? Yeah, back they've got to play front? them home and away yeah. still, which is not the easiest. <laughs> they might not have a game. choice by the end of them. <laughs> yeah, you just have to play the Italian champions home and away. It's not too too uh, difficult. But again, you know they have to play Zagreb at home still. The Salzburg game away, you would still think that they would fancy themselves for that. So I still wouldn't rule them out of getting out of this group but it obviously relies on results which are now out of their hands but it's it's still in their control but if they don't get any favourable result from that Milan home and away fixture they could be in trouble because I don't really see any way back unless the likes of Zagreb and Salzburg start dropping points against each other or um, you know they start absolutely capitulating so they've left themselves in a difficult position because those first two games typically for any other Chelsea side you would have thought they were absolutely bankers to win but as we've seen Chelsea I keep describing them like a jigsaw they're a big jigsaw there's just so many pieces that need to be fit together and I think the biggest issue for Chelsea now, and I've said it since the transfer deadline day finished, is that they have n- no potency in attack whatsoever. There's no creativity there. Um, they're literally relying on the likes of Raheem Sterling and potentially their fullbacks to get something going in the game. Uh, and they haven't got a, a totally recognised striker. I don't think Aubameyang was the right fit. Clearly, after Tuchel's left, he wasn't the right fit. Um, and I would probably back a lot on... Potter going in for Broha and trying to give him a chance I think he will start to use him a little bit more than probably Tuchel would have so I think that's one to watch I also think just on that very quickly we talk about what Brighton's problems have been and their problems were scoring goals under Graham Potter they never really found the right striking solution for them Neil Mope came in scored a few goals to start with but it, it kind of tailed off very quickly didn't work out Danny Welbeck obviously a seasoned striker in the Premier League but can't stay fit Chelsea have got a similar problem they've got young Breuer who wasn't really fancied by Thomas Tuchel who thinks exceptionally talented and should hopefully get a chance and they've got Aubameyang who's been brought in to play under Tuchel but now Tuchel's gone so the problems in the main in my opinion that Brighton had under Graham Potter was finding someone bona fide up front who can smash in 15 goals a season and kind of really fire them up the table and they managed to finish in the top 10 last season without that potent number nine it seems like he's got a similar problem at Chelsea already so I do wonder who who will fill that role and and how he'll deal with it. Slightly better news at Manchester City who beat Borussia Dortmund 2-1 last night. It looked like they were going down 1-0 at one point and I was already writing the script bemoaning how poor English teams have been in Europe this season with Liverpool stuttering and Spurs losing and obviously as we've just discussed Chelsea not managing to get a win at RB Salzburg either but then two late goals for City score them two late goals for City saw them doing what they always do. They seem to manage to win under any circumstances. John Stones popped up with a complete thunder of an equaliser and then Erling Haaland as well did what he always does and he scored a goal. But City left this one late, Joel. Yeah, but, you know, with City, I think the biggest thing that impresses me is that they remain so calm up until the final whistle. You just never expect them to start punting long balls forward or really try and force something that's not there they still play their game right up until the last whistle and it proves how much it works because up until I think it was the 83rd minute they were still needing two goals to obviously win the game and Dortmund actually played a really good game themselves I was impressed with them Um, I don't know if it was in response to City having a 
a little bit more of a weakened side. I mean, when you looked at the back four of Akanji and Nathan Ake at the back and John Stones at right back, you would have thought that it would have been a little bit frail, but they hung in there for a good amount of the game. But I mean, this is the difference with the top sides. When you have someone like Harlan, who is on the pitch until the 90th minute, you've always got a chance if you just put it in the right direction. And I think Guardiola compared it to a Johan Cruyff goal at the end of the game, and it literally was identical. It was freakishly similar. And when you have someone like that on the pitch, you've always got a chance, haven't you, of getting back into the game. Um, obviously, Jude Bellingham got a goal again in the Champions League. I think half of his Champions League goals have come against City, which is pretty impressive for a midfielder, let alone any other player on the pitch. Um, but I I don't think it's cause for concern for City to be, you know, languishing a little bit into the 80s because that's become a little bit of their DNA now, which is a team which, regardless of what minute it is in, they're always there to do a counterpunch, regardless of how comfortable the, the opponent gets. Um, but I do think one player that really is a little bit concerning is Jack Grealish. I've not seen anything of what he's shown at Aston Villa in his time there. And I think questions do start need to be getting asked about him because... I don't really know what City were expecting of him, but he's definitely not producing anything that I remember him to be. I, I truly believe it's just because his individualism has been completely capped. He's playing in a system now where every player has a role. There's not really a space for, you know, a little bit of um, creativity. Is a little bit more structured in how he has to play, which I think is a little bit different to how he's used to. But on the whole, I mean, Haaland, again, you can't really go against him, can you? I really thought this was going to be Jack, um, Jack Grealish's season. I thought Haaland coming in would kind of be the making of him and he'd become that playmaker for City. But as you say, it's just not happened. However, Jude Bellingham, Niall, incredibly impressive for Borussia Dortmund last night. He seems to have really benefited from going to Germany and getting regular playtime. How much longer... Is he going to be in the Bundesliga, though? There's going to be loads of English clubs looking at him. Manchester United, Liverpool, maybe even Manchester City. And fancy taking a chance there, isn't there? I think he'll go to the World Cup, Jim. And I think if he does, and we'll find out, Graham's, uh, Graham Southgate, Gareth Southgate's <laughs> England selection uh, for the next international break, which is, of course, next weekend, very, very soon, in the next few hours, actually, in fact. And no doubt he'll be in that international squad. No doubt he'll go to the World Cup. If he has a good World Cup and England have a good World Cup and he continues to perform like this for Dortmund, I think we'll see him in next summer at another club. And Dortmund are a big club. It's a great club to learn your craft. We've seen Erling Haaland do it. We've seen Jadon Sancho do it. And we've hopefully going to see Jude Bellingham do the same thing and move to the Premier League. I think he will. I think we've said a number of times on this show that he is an excellent fit for Liverpool who have a decaying midfield. The likes of Henderson and Milner are just maybe getting a little bit past it without disrespect to them. I just think the rustiness is there. The consistency is lacking. And, you know, we saw that with Liverpool's recent performances that without without Thiago in their midfield, they don't look the same side. So, um, a bit of youth and a bit of sprightliness will will pet that up for Liverpool, and I think that they should make a move for him. I really do, and I think that actually, in one of the interviews after the game last night, Akanji, who's just joined Manchester City from Dortmund, his former club, signed in the summer towards the end of the window. He said that in the year or so or two years that Jude Bellingham's been in Dortmund, and let's not forget they signed him from Birmingham City, by the way, who were a lower half championship team and he said that the improvement that Bellingham has had in the last two years has been excellent particularly 
from turning 18 to 19, adapting to the league, playing international football. He's been excellent and he looks like he's only going to improve. But what impresses me just as much as him on the pitch, Jim, is how he speaks off of it. In his post-match interview, he conducts himself with an excellent demeanour. He knows exactly what to say and when to say it. He's not afraid to show his emotion. He's got personality. He speaks like a leader and he's only 19. So I'd love to see him in the Premier League and I think it will be next summer. Of course, it was Erling Haaland that popped up with the winner. Oh, by the way, if you want the reaction to that England-friendly squad announcement that is this afternoon, as Niall says, we will have Football Social Daily shots up this afternoon. There'll be some reaction to that squad selection from Gary, Gareth, Graham Southgate, whatever we're calling him today. (laughs) Um, Right, as I said, Erling Haaland (laughs) popped up with the late winner last night very quickly. So his stats at the moment for the season, 30 goals already, 13, sorry, not quite 30 yet, 13 goals already this season. He's scored every 56 minutes he's on the pitch. I just want a number, boys. How many goals do you think he's going to finish the season with? Because we'll revisit this in a few months and see if you're right. 32. Oh, so Niall's gone 32 for the season, all competitions, Joel? Yeah, I, I think in the mid-30s, something like 36, 37. Yeah, I think uh, that might even turn out being conservative, certainly if he carries on on the form he's in and doesn't get injured this season, obviously. Right, that is last night's Champions League games. We're going to look ahead to the Europa and the Europa Conference next because Manchester United and West Ham are in action tonight. We'll do it next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Europa League action on the agenda now. We'll start off in the Europa League proper where Manchester United are playing Sheriff Oh, tease up, Paul. Is that how you say it? <laughs> just call him Sheriff. I think that they just I, like to be called Sheriff, Sheriff anyway. So <laughs> I practiced this earlier as well. I was like, I'm going to get it right. I'm going to get the pronunciation right. And I've 100% forgotten what it is. Manchester United, I can say that. Anyway, the main news for Manchester United is Marcus Rashford out with a muscle injury. He's going to start sweating over his England place pretty soon. He hasn't played since he missed that penalty in the Euro final against Italy. He's, we, as we said earlier, the, the friendly squads are announced later for the games against Germany and Italy. He could really do with making those squads, couldn't he, Niall, if he is going to appear at the World Cup? Because he hasn't played much for Gareth Southgate over the last couple of months. Yeah, well, Marcus Rashford obviously injured tonight, so won't be playing against Sheriff, which is a blow to his chances, as you say, in in getting into the international side. And, you know, he did show highlights of the old Rashford, the Rashford that you know made him such a good counter-attacking finisher in the games against Liverpool and the game against Arsenal, which was a couple of weeks ago. And he looked very good in those games. And actually, he had been quiet in some of the other games as well. But I thought when he did play up front in that number nine role, he held the ball up really well, showed little assets to his game that we haven't seen, holding the ball up, bringing other players into play. Um, laid off Anthony really well for that goal against Arsenal um, and then scored another two goals himself, one through the middle from a counter-attack and one from the left wing, which is his preferred position, I think. So, you know, I'm not saying that Marcus Rashford is back, but this injury's come at a terrible time for him and 
if the reports in the media are to be believed, Jaden Sancho and Marcus Rashford are some way back in the pecking order as far as attacking players are concerned for Gareth Southgate. You've got the likes of Bukayo Saka and Raheem Sterling and others ahead of those two players at this point in time. And obviously Rashford can play both as a central player and as a winger, so he has that versatility. Sancho more so just a winger. But we haven't seen the same Sancho at Manchester United, or at least not in as as much not as much as we would have liked um, than we saw at Dortmund. So there's a concern. Rashford's obviously had a, a poor season last year. Injury he was struggling with, but it was a long time since he found the back of the net. I think the goal against Liverpool was, was his first goal since January or February or something like that. So you can understand why he's not been in Southgate's thinking. But he won't play tonight and... That's a bit of a blow, I think, for him and his chances to get in the England team. That being said, Sancho probably will play because Manchester United need a result. They lost their last Europa game last Thursday against Real Sociedad. Wasn't the best performance by any stretch. Sheriff beat Real Madrid coming up to a year ago in the Champions League, which some people think is the biggest upset in the history of the Champions League. And they had to defend like dogs that night. The goalkeeper was inspired. They scored two very good goals, one counter-attacking goal and then one late in the game, which was an absolute ripper of a left-footed volley, which curled straight into the top corner. So, you know, that's a famous night in Sheriff's history. So let's not suggest here that Manchester United are going to get undone by this team. I think United are more than capable with the players they put out there to win this game and win it comfortably. But if they perform like they did against Sociedad last Thursday, it's going to be tough. But they'll have to do it without the likes of Rashford, Martial, Van der Beek and Wambasaka, who all won't be there. I mean, that is it. Manchester United should get a result, but we know that Sheriff can cause an upset, like you pointed out. They have beaten Real Madrid in the Champions League in the past. United are going to be desperate to get off the mark. They had a bad start against Real Sociedad last week. Can we expect more from Manchester United this time out, Joel? You should expect it. I mean, I think the team that's going to be starting will probably be Cristiano Ronaldo leading the line uh, Casemiro getting his first start of the season so these are big players obviously Casemiro was on the receiving end of that Sheriff <laughs> defeat last season too so he, he knows all too well about their threat but I was reading an article about this club Sheriff and it's actually baffling their history and what goes on there because although Nile pointed out that it'll be a difficult game against that team they say that not a single member of that side that won at the Bernabeu will even be starting tonight against United because they sold the whole team, which is incredible. Um, and the club operates a, a policy of no cooperation with the media. There's allegations around how the owners make their money. Um, they've had to move this from the stadium of uh, Tiraspol because of the Russian military presence there. It's a it's a quite a a lot going on with that club, let's put it that way. Um, if anyone's seen the stadium that they're actually playing at tonight, it's absolutely incredible. It's an 8,800 capacity stadium and you can just see a block of flats just overlooking the whole stadium. It's like... It's very re- Eastern block, isn't it? Yeah, it looks like very Soviet. Did you just say 800, 8,000 people? 8,800, 8, sorry. 8,800 capacity. Oh, I was going to say. Um, how big is this stadium? <laughs> just an absolute <laughs> monster of a stadium. people in it. State, University of Michigan style stadium. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it's quite a dubious club and I don't really know what to expect from them tomorrow. They're unbeaten in the Moldovan League, um, which seems to be the typical case surrounding this club. But in terms of United, I mean, it's 
obviously a chance to make amends from the last game against Real Sociedad, which was really disappointing. Um, the, the, the handball and the way in which we lost was ridiculous. I think everyone saw it, and I just don't understand how it was given whatsoever. But, I mean, Sociedad are the strong, well, one of the strongest sides that United will have to face. And again, with this Sheriff side, I don't really know what to expect because it's, gonna, it's not going to be the side that beat Real Madrid last year. So, on that basis... I feel like it's a dip into the unknown, but clearly they're doing quite well because obviously they're at the top of their league. It's not the greatest quality of leagues, but in these kind of competitions, I've always said you the best way to win these games, you have to be more motivated than the other side because this is their cup final for their season. This is their crown jewels of the season. Whereas United, I feel like a lot of the big clubs can fall into the false sense of security and thinking they can waltz into these games with the players and just you know kind of prance around nice little ball possession and beat these sides with ease because it's really not the case so as long as they really play on the front foot and try and win as if it's a matter of life and death type of game then they should see it through do you think the little rest that manchester united have had will help them here joel because we talked previously about the advantages disadvantages of the cancelled premier league games and how that'll impact the English teams in European football, it doesn't seem to have had a positive impact so far. And here you've got a Manchester United team who arguably need game time under Ten Hag so he can improve that Manchester United team who have underperformed for so long. So do you think it's going to be an advantage, a disadvantage? Is it not going to make a difference? Potentially, but I mean, the team that's going to be starting tonight is going to be players who've been in the fringe. So I think Ronaldo definitely needs to start a game. Casemiro needs to start a game. And I don't think the players that have played in that four game winning streak are going to be impacted too much because obviously everyone has that international break coming up regardless so it's going to take the wind out of the sails of every side that have had a really good run up to now Um, I just think it's a really good chance for the players who've not yet been able to be given a chance because as we've seen in those four games that have been won it's been a pretty similar team minus one or two additions in the attack so if you don't get a chance in that team because they're winning. You're never going to get a look into these are the games for the likes of Donny van der Beek or who, uh, Harry Maguire, the club captain, to actually try and make a stake in Ten Hag's mind to think, OK, I might actually start thinking of giving him a chance in the first team because you don't change a winning team. It's just not logical unless you're trying to adapt to an oppo- opponent, which we might see against City um which is the first game back after the international break, which is quite tough. But I think it'll be a chance for just all of these players who really need to start getting some momentum into their legs because I think when you have the likes of Casemiro and Ronaldo not getting into the team, although they're great players, they're big players with big egos as well. So I think it's important to keep them happy and keep their chances alive for themselves of actually trying to break into that side. Let's move down to the Europa Conference very briefly because West Ham are playing tonight. They're away at Silkborg IF and West Ham got their European campaign, the Europa League campaign, off to a winning start last week against FCSB. Probably a bit lucky with two of their three goals. If VAR had been in operation, I don't think either of those goals would have stood. But probably tougher opponents tonight, you'd say, Niall. Well, I'm not sure, you know. Um, I think Stauer Bucharest were a decent test for, for, for West Ham. I'm not sure whether Silkeberger are a, a tougher test than Stauer. I mean, I'm not 
going to be someone who sits here and professes I watch the Danish league mm. or the, the Romanian league. I mean, but, none um, of them should really be that much of a test. Nobody in the Europa League, till you get to the latter stages, should really test a Premier League team in truth. That's true, but also West Ham, everyone they've played has been a test this season. <laughs> you know, for some reason, they can't seem to get it going. And, you know, Silkeberg looking at them, they finished third in last season's Danish Super League. So... You know, they've obviously got some sort of quality to be in this competition and it will be a great opportunity and a great experience for them to play against Premier League players. And I think that you often hear that when you see these smaller teams coming up against the big hitters in competitions like this. You hear players in press conferences and managers before the games saying, we know it's going to be one of the hardest games we'll ever play, but that's why you play, to test yourself against the very best and in the hope that you might pull off an upset. And Silkeberg won't care that you know, West Ham United are in the bottom three of the Premier League table right now. They're not going to give two hoots about that. They're going to try and beat West Ham and make a moment for themselves, make a memory which people will talk about in Silkeborg for years and years to come. Remember when we beat West Ham, much like Sheriff. Remember when we beat Real Madrid. I mean, what a moment for them. And we're still talking about it now. And we have no affiliation to either Real Madrid or Sheriff Tiraspol. So, you know, Silkeborg will be thinking something similar. But, you know, West Ham, for some reason, have found it really tough this season. They've got a big game this weekend against Everton, which I think might actually be at the forefront of David Moyes' thinking. But that is the way it goes when you're in European competition. You've got Thursday, Thursday, Sunday matches to think about every single week. And it will be that that way until right up to the World Cup. It'll be Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday. And it is relentless. It's ruthless. And it's up to West Ham to deal with that. I mean, you're probably better placed than me to answer why West Ham haven't really got out first gear this season. But it's probably a bit, a bit of a concern and a good win last week, a break at the weekend with no match and obviously a game here tonight. And if they can win here tonight, maybe that might just be the springboard for them to perform against Everton. But I suppose you're in a better position, Jim, to answer why West Ham haven't got it going because it's as much as it's easy to say they should beat Silkeborg tonight and they should, it hasn't been that straightforward for your team this year so far. Yeah, I don't think actually it's been as bad as some people say for West Ham so far this season. I think the games that we should have won, we've been unlucky in. And I think a few of the games we've had have been against really tough opposition. So I don't think it's time to be panicking yet. I was slightly worried about how poor West Ham were in the Europa last week in a game that I said they should steamroll. They really kind of were under the cosh in parts of that game. I mean, in in the end, they won it easily, but it could have easily gone the other way. I think it's an interesting dilemma for David Moyes tonight, Joel, because he needs his team to get firing. And because of that, it would make sense to play your first 11 and get them kind of playing as a unit better. But at the same time, JYSH Park, which is the home of Zuckerberg, They've got this plastic pitch and we know that the plastic pitch is a risk when it comes to injuries. So how does David Moyes play it? Does he play his first team? Does he try to put a second string out that if he loses individuals, it's not going to be a disaster on the Premier League campaign? How do you balance that? In my opinion, I think it's quite vital that they win tonight. And that's purely on the basis of if they can win this group as quickly as possible, they can start affording to let go of the games that start to come in October, um, November time. But prior to the World Cup and just after the World Cup, they won't have to then put out an even stronger side when the players are either really lethargic or they're starting to become fatigued and it starts to impact the league form a little bit more. I think it'd be worth just getting this group stage out of the way as quick as possible. They're on three points with Anderlecht 
and if Anderlecht win their game as well it means that they're pretty much there and home and dry to be honest if they can win the game after this so I think it's just the case of being smart with your game management I'm not saying play the very best team you can because I don't even think that's needed to beat this kind of side but don't disrespect the game as well in the opposite direction where you could end up potentially losing a game which we've seen a lot of English clubs do in the last couple of weeks and then suddenly you're having to field an even stronger side and to try and compensate for all of those games that you've lost um, it just depends really on how much David Moyes sees this competition and respects it to be honest and whether the West Ham fans respect it because I know they've started to get a taste for European football after last season and judging by the team this season it might be a little bit of a, a tough ask to get back into those Europe, Europa League places so this might be the best route to get back into that competition for next year um, so this is why I say you know if if they want to be able to stay in the European competitions which I know all fans want to be in then treat the competition with respect and try and get out of the group as quick as possible forget European qualification I want to win it I can't remember the last time West Ham won ah, a trophy. You should as well, it's realistic. It's, like, it's a bit of silverware, and it's been so long since West Ham picked up silverware. I think it would be, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be. If I was David Moyes, and if I was listening to the West Ham fans, I'd definitely want to go all the way in this competition. Plus, the finals in Prague. Everyone wants a trip to Prague, don't they, for like a a bit of football action? That sounds really good. Anyway, we'll leave the European competition there. We'll have full match reaction on tomorrow's Football Social Daily podcast to all those fixtures. And next, we're going to get stuck into Fantasy Premier League. Dr. Tom from the Who Got the Assist podcast, part of the Sports Social Podcast Network, is answering your questions next. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Final bit of today's Football Social Daily and Premier League football is back this weekend, which means fantasy Premier League football is back as well. And we've got Dr. Tom from Who Got the Assist in the house, ready for some open heart Premier League fantasy football surgery. How are you doing, Tom? Not bad, mate. Not bad. Yourself? Yeah, not too bad. Were you one of the few who made your transfers last week before the games were called off? Were you, were you, were you holding on and were you yet to make your substitutions and your transfers and whatnot? Well, I've been on, I've been on wild card since last week, so FPL okay. uh, let you roll over your wild card for the first time in in, in FPL history, basically because of obviously the sad passing of Queen Elizabeth, uh, which means I've basically been a wild card for two weeks. So my um, wow. yeah, so my, my team has kind of um, it, 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 there were a few changes done last week, but now obviously the fixtures have completely changed, and teams like Liverpool, teams like uh, Man United aren't playing this week, so mm. lo- quite a lot of changes have been made so yeah a brand new team for the week ahead okay well that brings us nicely on to our first of three questions that have been submitted to us via twitter and instagram and our telegram group and our facebook group and all over the place we've picked three of the good ones for you to try and tackle first off it's laura who quite appropriately given what you've just said says half my team are missing this week because of those cancelled fixtures do i take the free hit now or i guess the wild card as well as you say or will there be a better option later in the season to use that so free hit wise, yes, there will almost def- almost definitely be a better option later on in the season. Uh, I know, obviously, a lot of people were caught out a little bit, especially if you had free Arsenal, free Liverpool, and probably you know Reese James coming from Chelsea. Um, I wouldn't recommend the free hit right now. I would recommend the wild card just because 
when it comes to game week 16, so not very far away, the season stops for the World Cup. Mm. During that period, you get another wild card, effectively, so an unlimited transfer period between game week 16, which is the 12th of November that weekend, and game week 17, which is Boxing Day. So the team that you make now needs to last you about eight weeks. So I think now with teams like Liverpool, teams like Arsenal coming into tougher fixtures and other teams, I mean, obviously they haven't really pulled up trees so far, but the likes of West Ham, likes of uh, Leicester and plus, you know, keep Man City assets, likes Newcastle, all coming into good fixtures. Now's probably the time to pull that wild card, make some bigger changes to your team and let and go with that. I wouldn't use your free hit just yet. So it's not just about looking ahead to this weekend when, as you say, certain key fixtures and certain key teams aren't playing. It's kind of planning between now and the World Cup and then taking a view and kind of looking beyond that when you get your second World Card. Yeah, definitely. I always say when I come on here, it's not so much just about the week ahead. It's always about the next few weeks ahead. I'm not somebody who sits there with like a big grand plan of what I'm going to do, you know, three or four weeks down the line. But I am somebody who looks at the next kind of two weeks, three weeks or so and says, right, okay, is my team set up properly for where I want to be then and with all of the big sort of players that I need for the fixtures that are coming don't look at it too far just look at it for the next few because football changes a lot by the time you get to five weeks down the line there could have been injuries god knows what but for the next couple of weeks I mean it's more than possible just to look at the fixtures ahead and just think right okay they've got good fixtures let's get a few of those players in good shout that so Laura no free hit yet but consider using your first wild card at this stage right we'll move on goal machine gary has slid into our dms and he wants to know your views on carrius who has joined newcastle united he says carrius at newcastle looks interesting he's been brought in as an emergency transfer because of the injuries they've got obviously nick pope's still number one but i guess carrius might push him for that position he says is he worth a dabble at just four million quid you're sh- i can see you a podcast listeners can't but you're shaking your head already absolutely absolutely not like, what, don't waste a transfer <laughs> on a player like that like, I, I just don't understand that line of thinking nick pope's the nailed number one for newcastle there's no way loris carrius is going to usurp him um, Pope has made I think, the most saves in the Premier League thus far this season um, doing a great job for Newcastle really interesting that he's now playing a sweeper role as well for them as well so their kind of their, their line defence has crept up a lot from when Dubravka was there last season uh, all the fans love him I think he was nominated for uh, a player of the player of the month last season for Newcastle which just shows what high regard he's he's been held in the start he's made there's, there's simply no way that Loris Karius is going to come in and usurp Pope unless Pope gets injured um, and, you know, you, you could, if you're on wildcard, for example, think, oh, you know what, fine, I'll have Carrius and Pope and have Carrius as the backup. But frankly, the likes mm. of Trippier, the likes of Isaac um, up top, like you don't want to be wasting a Newcastle slot on the backup goalkeeper. So absolutely not. Who are, is your go-to goalkeeper, particularly if you're on a budget at the moment? I look at my two at the moment and I've got Saar at uh, Wolves, who I'm not particularly happy with. I might look to get rid of him but then I've got Ward at Leicester as well who's doing alright because he's first choice he's only 4 million quid so who would your two go-to keepers be? Well, I mean, I keep Ward just because he's playing um, backup goalkeeper at 100%. I've actually got Nick Pope at the moment. Uh, Newcastle's defence has been pretty good actually. Uh, they have played Man City and Liverpool, so their numbers aren't as amazing as they could be. Mm. But they've played Man City and Liverpool. What do you expect? <laughs> I think it's over half of their expected goals conceded have come in those two games. So you can't be too surprised by that. Um, and I think going forward, they play Man United and Spurs, I think it is. Uh, maybe Chelsea as well of the top six teams last season over the next eight, nine game weeks. So 
plenty of clean sheet potential and Pope's just making save after save after save at the moment and those will also generate points in fantasy football. And Bournemouth ahead for them this weekend going forward as well. Mm-hmm. So final question comes from Lucas who says, who are your must-have players so far this season? Can you name one in every position for fantasy football so goalkeeper defender midfielder attacker i'm considering not letting you have harland by the way because i think it seems like a bit of a no-brainer harland so let's take him yeah. out of the picture and go one for each position that you think is a need to have in fantasy football this season sure i mean let's start at the front then um so if we're taking Haaland out uh, mitrovic i think probably is one that is creeping into a lot of people's teams he wasn't amazing a couple of, well i mean it's been in the premier league a couple of times before decent enough goal tallies i think it was kind of nine or ten in 2015 16 11 or so in 2018 19 but in 2020 21 remember they had so many managers turning over and um, i don't think it was, i can't remember if it was ranieri or parker didn't quite fancy him but now on the market marco silva fulham are set up to serve this guy everything is basically aimed around giving Mitro a goal and their fixtures are very very good so over the next five or six game weeks maybe even seven, no, actually the next seven game weeks they don't play a single team in the top six from last season he scored well I think he scored them in the last four consecutive games and after a while his kind of overall ownership is going to just go through the roof so He's 6.9 at the moment. That's still a decent price. And given how he's playing and how Fulham are surprising everyone, because I think that they were one, along with Forrest, that many people were kind of thinking, oh, I'm sure they're going to be battered. Uh, Fulham are playing surprisingly well and surprisingly resiliently. And I think Mitrovic is just the one up front to probably be owning at the moment. Uh, midfield, I it's, it's one of those where it's been a bit of a different start for the midfielders. So last year it was a lot better. You know, you had the likes of Salah burning, uh, You had quite a few players mm. who were really going for it. This year the pitch is a bit more muddied, and I don't think it's quite emerged yet. Obviously, the Brighton boys um, started off pretty well, but. They're blanking this week. No game against Crystal Palace. And then they have a couple of tough games in terms of Liverpool away, Spurs at home. What I would be looking at, actually, again, is those fixtures going forward. And there's a couple of players who are blinking on the radar for that. Uh, they're both, they both cost around £8 million. It's Jared Bowen at West Ham, who had obviously that great season last season, and James Madison at Leicester. So James Madison okay. plays Tottenham this week away, but they come into a ridiculously good run of fixtures. I think it's Forest at home, Bournemouth away, Palace at home, Leeds at home, our next four after international break. Like, Either one of those is primed to really go off. So I think it's more about looking to the future for those guys and not so much looking like at, at the Brighton guys have done well. Martinelli, of course, has done very well. Uh, but again, Arsenal coming coming into tough fixtures. I think in defence, the fight, the one to just quickly mention is Trippier at Newcastle. So obviously you've got your Cancelo at Man City, you've got Reese James, and by the way, Graham Potter's formation uh, the other night against Salzburg really seemed to be full of promise for Reese James. Uh, but Trippier mm. is one who definitely is uh, garnering a lot of interest amongst that fancy managers, just because Newcastle are looking defensively fairly solid, and Trippier himself obviously got he's got the set pieces, got the assist potential for the cross he's thrown in for um, for the likes of Isaac and Wilson when he's back fit. And just in general, we'll pretty much play every game for Newcastle. So I think he's the other one that I probably would recommend. I've got him and Pope actually on my wild card, and I'm pretty happy with that. Just because on their own, Trippier with all of those that attacking potential, Pope with that sort of you know the, the saves and the clean sheets. But together, it's a bit of a differential as well. So if Newcastle keep a clean sheet, I'd benefit double from that. 
So yeah. that would be kind of where I'm going with that. I, maybe I'm just you know, rambling on and talking uh, way over people's <laughs> heads, but I mean, th- that's kind of the way I think about it. But yeah, so it would be um, Mitrovic, Bonobo and Madison, Trippier and Pope in, the, in goal. Nice one. Thanks, Tom. Well, we'll be back again next Thursday with more of your advice. If anyone's got any questions, they can get them in via the sports social and football social daily social channels between now and then. And for more fantasy football info and chat, you can check out Tom's podcast on the sports social podcast network. It's called Who Got the Assist? And you can find it by heading to sport-social.co.uk or via all the normal podcasting channels. Just search Who Got the Assist? Nice one, Tom. Thanks, mate. Speak next week. That is it for today's Football Social Daily. Thanks for listening. Don't forget, get involved in our Telegram group. You can talk to us, you can message us, you can ask your questions to Dr. Tom. Just go and search it on Twitter. It's our pinned tweet at the top. You can click on the Telegram group and get signed up. And we'll see you tomorrow for the next Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.